Well, good morning again. Uh, what's your story? We've been in this uh, series now uh, for a few weeks, and today we finalize this, this understanding of what our story is in the broader picture of the story that God is writing. I've asked a couple people if they would to uh, share with us. As they're sharing, you might see this card on your, on your, uh, on your chair or at home. There's going to be some links provided uh, that you'll have access to this, but uh, if you've got that, you might follow along and just kind of see how they've uh, used this to form their story. But first, I've asked Diane if she would to share. <clears throat> well, my before is um, I was raised in a Christian home, had a Christian mom and dad. They took me to church on a regular basis. But as I hit my adolescence, I began to doubt the existence of God. I felt God was just a big hammer, and he had a list of don'ts. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. My life was full of anger and hatred towards my parents, my school, my teachers, anyone who was an authority. I wanted to be accepted and, willing, and I was willing to follow the crowd. And that path was a wrong direction for me. And I felt really miserable. But then my church held a youth weekend and my dad told me that we were going and I told him I wasn't and he told me I was and it started with a screaming match that night, and my dad won. Um, I sat and went to that weekend and sat there with my arms folded across me, and I was refusing to listen. But yet, the Holy Spirit softened my heart that night, and I did start to listen. And I heard the words from a woman, her name was Anne, and she said she was out to change her world, and she shared about how God loves us and how God had made a difference in her life and talked about people in the Bible that God had changed their lives and how God was still changing lives today. And as I listened and my heart softened, by the end of that weekend, I asked Jesus to forgive my disbelief and my selfish life, and I asked him to help me change and to make him more like him. I wasn't sure if I could do it, but I asked him to help me. And now I have a great relationship with Jesus Christ. He walks with me every day. Not every day is easy. Some days are hard, but I know he's my help and he's there for me. He's replaced my hurt and my anger with his love. I want to grow in understanding what he wants to teach me in his word, and I want to obediently live the way he wants me to live. Amen. <clears throat> morning. My name is Josh. Uh, before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, my life was full of selfish lies and deceit and pain. My life was focused on giving in to my wants and desires without thinking about the effects on others. I felt fake and ashamed of my sinful life and was left wanting to be better, but felt stuck. Then, my beliefs about Jesus at that point were very superficial and elementary and thought I wasn't good enough for him. But then I met my now wife who introduced me to real life. And between her and the great leadership and God's guidance, I started to learn that Jesus is enough and always for us and people could change. I decided that I wanted to receive Jesus as my savior again to help rebuild what I had broken. And although there are still moments of failure, I know that Jesus is always with me, and there is always hope. Now, 
Before I chose to follow Jesus, I found comfort, my identity, and purpose in anything that would take me away and distract me from my personal hurts and shortcomings and failure. My life was sloppy and messy and confusing, showing one side to the world, but often feeling something different inside. Giving into the pitfalls of sin, knowing I wasn't strong. But now I know there is someone who fights for me. I am not my past, and with God's help, I can be so much more. The areas I still want to grow in are continuing to listen to God's guidance and avoid those pitfalls. I want to be a better example. The thing I am most thankful for today is the people that God has put into my life that show me his love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, and friendship that I don't deserve, but I'm grateful to receive. Amen. So what is your story? Um, if you don't have a card, I do want to encourage you to find one. And uh, if you've not uh, been a part of the series up to this point, I do want to encourage you to go online and maybe find some of those messages that have led up to uh, this point. Um, our goal in this series has really been for you to be able to see your story, your life in the context of the broader story that God's writing and uh, how he's written you into that story. And uh, parts of the story like the before chapter of our story, before Christ came into your life. We started this with the uh, study of a little bit of the Apostle Paul, and uh, he began his life not as Paul, but as Saul of Tarsus. He uh, hunted down Christians. He was basically a religious terrorist and uh, an enemy of the church. Everybody has a before. Paul had a before. Everybody has a before, uh, whether you're raised in the church, whether you're some notorious sinner or not, uh, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, it, it doesn't matter. Everybody has a before. Paul himself wrote, all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's a, there's a before chapter to everybody's story. And last week, Pastor Ben did a great job of introducing us to the then chapter of our life. That moment in Paul's life where Saul became Paul, God intersected his life and, uh, and changed the narrative of his story forever. And uh, there's those moments when, when all of a sudden Christ offers you this invitation. The question is, will we accept it? Will we accept that invitation? And that leads to today, where we're talking about now living out what it means to be in the now chapter of our lives after accepting that invitation. Now, this chapter, and I, I just want to throw this out here right at the beginning, this chapter in the life of Paul is almost absurd. Uh, there's a little bit of a catch-22, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, about talking about the life of Paul because it's just such an extreme example. That's why it's a good example because it's so obvious, but it's just such an extreme example. It is absolutely impossible to cover everything that God did through Paul in this now chapter of his life. Uh, this is a guy, again, remember, who only a few years earlier to this was murdering Christians, okay? He was being used to persecute the church. So just really quickly here, I do want to talk about this now chapter in his life a little bit because it's going to lead you and I to a place where we begin to understand our part in the now story that God is writing. And I think we see that in the life of Paul. One of the most glaring things that becomes really obvious about Paul's now chapter is all of a sudden he goes from being a persecutor of churches to a planter of churches. 
all of a sudden he goes from being a persecutor of Christians to like the main representative of all of them. It's really a huge transformation. This guy who had this horrific before literally repainted the culture and the religious narrative of an entire region of the globe in his day. That's huge. That's massive. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no chap snaps. There was no it's Snapchat, just so you know. I say that so that my children get embarrassed. Okay. There's no chap snaps. There's, uh, there's, there's no transportation. There's no modern transportation. There's no platforms. There's no, none of, none of this stuff. There's no book deals. There's no retirement plan. There's nothing. There's nothing, and somehow Paul pulled all of this off. It's absolutely amazing. I share that. Why is that such a big deal? Because I want you to look at a map. There's a map on the screen. This is kind of old school, but you'll hang with me here. You can Google Paul's missionary journeys, and you'll get a million different maps. This is just one of them. But God used Paul to do something. He established a pattern that is still used today. Still used today. Repeatedly, Paul went out on what you and I would call missionary journeys. He went cross-culturally. He went outside of his ethnicity. He went outside of his demographics. He went outside of his own religious upbringing. He went outside of all kinds of boundaries, all for the sake of winning people for Jesus Christ. And so what you see on the screen is all these missionary journeys that Paul took throughout that entire region, okay? Uh, You can see them on the screen. Antioch had become kind of the center of, of the church at that point because all the Christians, most of them had been kicked out of Jerusalem. And so Antioch was kind of the hub. Paul goes into southern Turkey, what's today southern Turkey. On his second journey, he goes again and he takes kind of the scenic route and he starts reaching all kinds of different people as he goes and takes the scenic journey. On his third journey, he goes around to some of these newly established churches all around the region. He starts raising money, but he does it for the sake of the church in Jerusalem who's very poor and being persecuted heavily. And so he goes around, he does that journey so he spends two years in a place called Ephesus. I know you're super excited. Hang with me here just a second. He spends a couple of years in a place called Ephesus. While he, he's there, he, he, in, that's in Macedonia, he's in Ephesus, and he, he decides he's going to write a letter to the, first, to the Corinthians. It's called 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, because they're having some problems. Then he goes back to Macedonia again. He writes a second letter to the Corinthians. Okay, There's a pattern here. He travels then to Corinth because, let's just face it, they're high maintenance and they're having all kinds of issues. And so while he's in Corinth, he decides this is a good time for me to write a letter to the church in Rome. This is his magnum opus. This is, this is his thing, the book of Romans. Okay? After writing Romans, he backtracks. He goes around, visits churches again, all this kind of different stuff, makes his way to Jerusalem, but his reputation precedes him. They know he's coming, so they arrest him. He's in trouble. He gets imprisoned. I mean, there's just all kinds of things. He gets put on a ship. There's a shipwreck. There, I mean, Paul, his life is drama. And so he finally ends up in Rome, but he's in prison in Rome, okay? So he's in prison in Rome, and what you and I are the beneficiaries of is this incredible section of the New Testament called the prison letters. We quote them all the time, but sometimes I, I feel like we forget that he wrote those at probably the darkest time in his life, all these encouraging things that we love to put on Pinterest and whatever. He, he wrote those in some of the darkest chapters of his journey. 
I say all that because God used Paul in this now chapter of his life again to literally repaint the face of the Mediterranean and beyond. And still today. Now, if God can do that with a man who literally hunted and persecuted and authorized the murder of Christians, the murder of human beings, is there anything God can't do in your now chapter? Sometimes I feel like, and, and this is just me, that we get to a place where we feel like God might be done writing. Maybe we screwed something up too much. Paul declared himself the chief of sinners. He was a bad dude. I mean, I've done some bad stuff in my life. Unfortunately for you, I might confess some of it on this platform. Uh, not all of it. But I've done some bad stuff, but I've never done what Paul's done. Never. And yet God used him in this now chapter to do something that you and I are the beneficiaries of today. Uh, now, you may not be called to do what Paul did, okay? Not many of us are, but make no mistake, real life, real life, you are missionaries. You are missionaries called to go out of your social demographic. You are called to go into your social demographic. You are called to go across your cultural demographic. You're, you're, you're called to go outside of your race. You're called to go to all corners of the earth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have the privilege. You sitting in here and online right now, if you're part of this region, listen, we do not have the privilege of settling into some kind of monochromatic Christianity that's built on some kind of consumer ideals where you don't have to get your nails dirty by getting down and dirty with people maybe you don't even agree with or see to eye to eye with or don't want to serve. We don't have that privilege in this region. Imagine what God could do with the now chapter of our lives, with the now chapter of your life. Now, in fairness, I love talking about Paul. I really do. Um, listen, other than Jesus Christ, there's probably no person in Scripture who forms our theology or what you and I do as an outflow of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Paul was prolific. Uh, if he lived today, he'd be one of those guys that every church person goes to to listen when their second-rate pastor doesn't do such a great job on a Sunday. That's the quiet part. I said it out loud, okay? No, seriously, uh, pastors would line up. They'd want to hear him. They'd go to his conferences. They'd share his best quotes. And if you and I are not careful, if we are not careful, we think that's what a successful now chapter looks like. So I want you to follow me here. Paul did not live in in the 21st century Western culture that you and I live in. I know you know that, but I'm stating it again. He did not live when we live. He did not live where we live. He didn't share all these life experiences and what you and I see and feel and taste and hear on a daily basis. He didn't have any of that stuff. So using Paul as a model for what this looks like for you and I today in real life is kind of a catch-22, okay? He was this powerful mentor who would form the Christian movement for centuries, for centuries. He was an apologist who created this incredible template for reaching people for Jesus Christ that we still use today, okay? God made Paul a missionary. He made him an evangelist. He made him a theologian. God used Paul to reach beyond 
this is huge, beyond the Jews into the Gentiles. That is such a big deal, I don't even know how to say it. If you're sitting in this room today and you do not have Jewish lineage, that means you. That means you. God used Paul, and today we are the beneficiaries. We are the beneficiaries of what God did in Paul's now chapter of his life. It's huge, and therein lies the challenge with Paul. We measure success, and the church, Christians, tend to measure success by accomplishments. We look at superstar pastors, we look at authors, look at social media influencers, we look at political crusaders, we look at Paul, we look at ourselves. And in an age of social media, and in an age where there's so much image crafting, it is really tempting to feel like a successful Christian life is all about what you do. It's all about what you do. Here's what I know. On the back of that card where it says now, Paul would not have written in everything I just described to you about him in that now section. He wouldn't have done it. Oh man, you know, I want to pull out a map for you and show you all of the places that I've been, all the things that I've seen, and you know, whoever would have thought that God would have given me the opportunity to have people like Timothy or all these other young people who want to hear what I have to say. I mean, this is just an incredible opportunity I've had. And by the way, there's the church at Philippi and the church in Galatia and there's the church at Ephesus and there's the church in Corinth. We won't talk too much about them because they got issues. But there's all these churches that I've done just such an incredible... I mean, God is really... I'm humbled, okay? I'll tweet about that, my humility. But I'm super humbled that God has used me to do all of these things in the now chapter of my life. Paul would never in a million years have said, here's all the books that I've written. You should go buy them on Amazon. No, he, he never would have said any of that stuff. No maps on his wall with pins in it to show everybody where he'd been. So what would Paul have written then in his now chapter? The good news is he already did it. He already did it. What would Paul have written? I think Paul would have written Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now, I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Now, I now know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Now, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, I can do all things. Now I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now. I think he would have written Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Whatever gain I had before, in that before chapter, whatever gain I had, I count that as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, now I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he did. I've suffered the loss of all things, but I count those things as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him now, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith now. I think he would have written 1 Corinthians 9, 19, and verses 22 through 23, now. See, now I am free from all. 
I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the weak, now I am weak, that I might win the weak. Now I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings now. Now. In those passages, and trust me, there's tons of others, I think we get a glimpse into maybe the most important thing God did with Paul in this now chapter of his life. I'm going to declare to you that I think it's the most important thing that God wants to do in your now chapter in your life. Romans 8, 28 through 29, Paul wrote this. We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. And we know that verse, right? You've heard this verse. God works all things together for the good, but there's a backside to that verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Your now chapter, if you've walked across that line, if, you, if you've identified, you know, this was life before Christ, but God, you showed up, man, and you intersected my life. You gave me an invitation. I accepted that invitation. I embrace the forgiveness and grace that you offer me. And now I am across that line. Now here I stand. Your now chapter is more like Paul's now chapter than you thought. It's about being conformed into the image of Jesus, being more like Jesus. So here's what that means for you and me today. Your now chapter has more to do with who you are becoming than what you are doing. Your now chapter has more to do with who you are becoming than what you are doing. I meet people all the time that want to do a lot for God. They clamor for the opportunity. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want, I want, I want that. I want, I want to be the one, okay? I want, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. And they push. You know, I want, to, I want to get that for myself so that that can take place. But my experience is, is if you're clamoring for that position... It doesn't take long before you fall. <laughs> it doesn't take long before you kind of crash and burn. And listen, there's a reason. I, I don't think it's hard to argue. I don't think it's hard to argue that Paul suffered more for the cause of Jesus Christ in his day than anybody else. His trials are really well documented. One of the, one of the frustrations I have and I'm guilty of this too. Somehow in the society that we live in, the world that we live in today, the church culture that we live in today in the United States dictates some kind of an idea that, that we are entitled, and I know I just used a trigger word there, right? I, we get this sense that we are entitled to a preferential situation. That somehow I, I by virtue of the fact that I know Jesus 
am supposed to be hashtag blessed in certain ways that are monetary or certain ways that are positional or political or all these kinds of different things. And it is absolutely amazing to me because if you read the Gospels, if you spend time reading the Gospels, you realize that the, the amount of time that Jesus talks about how blessed we are going to be because of our faith in Jesus Christ and how our position in Jesus Christ will gain us favor in the world we live in is about this big. Most of the rest of the other time is talking about deny yourself. That's not American. <laughs> deny yourself. Pick up a cross. That's not attractive. If you're going to follow Jesus, he says, pick up a cross and follow me. Go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor. Then come follow me. These are the hard sayings of Jesus. These aren't the Pinteresty things that we like to screenshot and put on our Facebook wall or make our profile picture or, or get in vinyl lettering on our living room wall. That's not what those things are. But somehow in the midst of all of this, we forget that probably the most hashtag blessed person to walk the earth after Jesus Christ was the one who suffered the most, the Apostle Paul. And here's why I appreciate that. Because Paul shows us Christ-likeness in real life. In real life. God, for all of the things that, that Paul was able to accomplish in that now chapter of his life, Paul was not exempt from suffering. He was not exempt from pain. He was not exempt or pulled out of the culture he found himself in. In fact, God just kept throwing him back in. And in the midst of it, Paul just kept saying, I can do all things. I can do all things. I know what it's like to be brought low. I know what it's like to be in abundance. I know what it is to be weak. But I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. This may be one of the most enduring legacies that Paul left. Not what he did, but who he became who he was. And as we close this series, you've got one more blank to fill out. There's a line on the back side of that card. After the service today, we're going to have some black Sharpies. I really want to encourage you, don't run out. Uh, everybody knows where the coffee shop is, so just go by the coffee shop, and in the community space, you're going to see that banner that says, this is my story. We want to take your picture. I know you probably just thought, man, I didn't do my hair today. I'll mess mine up if that makes you feel better. I really don't care how I look. So do whatever you've got to do. But we want to take your picture because your story is actually our story. Your story is God's story and God's story is our story. We want to be all connected and understand how we're connected to each other. Okay? It doesn't matter what your before story looked like. Your story is our story. It doesn't matter what your then story or your now story looks like. It's our story. Let's celebrate our story. Can we do that? So we want to take a picture. I want to put a video together. I know you're super excited. I'll even give you one year. One year. No, no. Never mind. One week. <laughs> if you want to bring this back next week, we'll take your picture if you need to get your hair did. Okay? So do, do your hair. We'll take your picture next week. Okay? So, but we want to get your picture so that we can understand the context of the story that we're all living in. One word to summarize your story. My word, my word is sabotage. 
I don't have time to go into it today, but God totally sabotaged my plans, my ideas, my preferences. God sabotaged everything in my life to get me and turn me in a different direction. I'm so glad I, I allowed him, essentially, to change my direction. I didn't kick against the goads like Pastor Ben talked about last week. But God moved me and changed me by sabotaging any plan that I had. Any plan that I had. I don't know what your word is. But let's have some fun. Can we do that? What word would Paul write down? What word would Paul write down? We could probably all come up with a list of all kinds of words. Um, I think Paul gives us a hint, and that's how I want to close this. Now, if you're on staff with me, you've heard this before, and you're going to be like, oh, okay. He's going to share that story again. Yep. Uh, There's people here who have known me for years, and maybe they've heard me share this story too. Yep, this, this is it. This is it. It's the book of Romans. I think this tells us exactly what Paul would write on that line. And it's all actually found in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It's not even really the book of Romans. It's, it's Paul saying, hey, I'm Paul. He's introducing himself to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, now, this verse summarizes... I think the only reason you and I have any clue who Paul is today, that verse alone summarizes all of it. He calls himself a servant. That's a whole sermon on its own. Don't worry. We're not going to do that. That's a whole sermon on its own. But Paul saw himself first in a submissive place. He had submitted to someone above him. Okay? So he is a servant to someone else, Jesus Christ. Then he says, I'm also an apostle. Tricky word, but let me summarize it. I'm a middleman. An apostle is a middleman. So in other words, I've submitted myself to this authority, and as an apostle, that authority gives me a message. It's not my message. It's his message that I'm to deliver to somebody else. He's a middleman. I'm an apostle. I'm a servant, and I'm an apostle. But then it's that last part, that last part of that verse that says something that I think indicates to us what Paul would have written. I personally think it's a source of, of all of it. He says he's been set apart for the gospel of God. So when the, when the scripture is translated from Greek, most of the New Testament is written in Greek, when it's translated, sometimes when words are translated, we get different words. You know, that maybe different multi-meanings. Those words set apart are very profound. They're very deep. And sometimes when they're translated, you can find that they're translated into a hyphenated word. And I believe this is the word that Paul would have written down on his line. Off horizon. Does somebody want to point out that's two words? Okay, it's Paul. We'll let, him, we'll let Paul be Paul. He, he, he earned it, okay? He gets two words. If you want to write down three, I don't care. Two words, off horizon. All right, so first of all, what in the world is that? And why is that the word that he would have written down? All right. Lake Michigan 
Lake Michigan is 118 miles across at its widest point. 118 miles. So if you got in a little boat, chug, chug, chugged out into the middle of Lake Michigan, out where that widest part is, you go 59 miles out, you are smack dab right in dead center of the widest part. Now, science theory, I guess, whatever says that the curvature of the earth handles this and stuff, I'm conflicted because I can stand on the shore here and see downtown Chicago. But, but technically, if I understand correctly the science, if you go 59 miles out into the middle of Lake Michigan and you're on that little boat and you're only a few feet above sea level, you can't see anything. You can't see either shore. Okay, so you're 59 miles out. So here's what I want you to imagine. You've gotten into a boat, you're 59 miles out into the middle of Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful day. Zero wind, no waves, crystal clear. No clouds in the sky. The sun is directly above you. And so if you stand in that boat, in that moment, and you look all the way around, the only thing that you see is a line. It's where the sky meets the water. And it's actually the horizon. You know this. But here's what's amazing about that. If you're standing in that position, in that boat, and you're looking around, that's actually a perfect circle. It's a perfect circle. It's a perfect circle because there's something in the middle of it. It's you. In fact, if you took a big step this way, that whole circle moves with you because you're the center of it. You're actually the one that's defining the horizon. Jesus took Paul and off-horizoned him. You no longer live, but it's I who live in you. That is what God wants to do in our now chapter. That we would get to a place where we would so submit ourselves to him so take our eyes off of ourselves and say, God, please off-horizon me so that in the now chapter of my life, it's not about me. It's about doing all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. That's how it was with Paul. His before story was built on the premise that he was the center. We tend to center ourselves based on our own experience, based on, our, based on all kinds of different things. We love to center ourselves in the story. But see, the now story is not really about you. It's about him. A life lived within a horizon that revolved around himself and God picked him out. It was a horizon he couldn't cross. That was before. Then God saved him. Now Paul was no longer the center. Jesus Christ was. Paul was off-horizoned. Paul was off-horizoned, and he was set apart now for the gospel of God, which became central. Are you following that? Beautifully summed up, again, by Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus. What's your story? What's your word? What's your word? I'll give you a week, but it'd be great if you did it today. 
What's your word? Mind sabotage? Your word might be simply grace. Grace. We're about to start a series here in a couple weeks called A Journey of Grace. We're going to be talking about all the different aspects of the grace of God. And uh, we're really going to enjoy that time together, I think, understanding just how God does manifest grace in our lives and how we are complete beneficiaries of the, the incredible, unending love of God. I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, what's your word? What's your story? And then who will you tell? If you're in a life group, you've been having this conversation ongoing during this series. But uh, one of the beginning things that I told you about this is to identify five people who you might be sharing your story with. If you had, a, if you had 45 seconds, what would you say? Or if you had two, hey, I just want to tell you, God sabotaged my life. If you want to know more, let's, let's sit down and have breakfast. Have coffee. Let's talk. Who does God want you to share that with? I'm going to ask you to stand. Have I, um, have I told you lately that I love you? Um, that's a song, right? Have I told you? No, I won't do it. I do. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful for the stories. Would you, uh, would you thank our two sharers today, Diane and Josh? Would you thank them again for sharing their stories? I want to encourage you to share those online too. If you're on Facebook or Instagram or Chapsnats, uh, you can hashtag it. This is my story. Do whatever you want. But listen, you have an incredible message and it's a message of love and grace and mercy and joy and peace and everything that God is, he's so good. And he, you have this incredible gift and this incredible message to share with others. And I know, I know, I know, I know, if you're anything like me, you think, but if I share it, somebody's going to say, yeah, but I know you. Say, well, yeah, I know you. <laughs> Everybody is on the journey. Everybody's on the journey. Share, share, share with somebody. Can I pray for us? Father, just thank you for your love and grace and mercy for us. And um, Father, I'm so glad that there are these moments where you do intersect our story, where you come with an invitation. My prayer throughout all of this is that every single one of us can point to Jesus Christ as the center of our story. And I pray that for all of us right now in this room and online, that we might be able to point to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. That, Father, we might be able to share the expressions that Paul shares, that, uh, that we can do all things, we can endure all things, we can persevere through all things because Christ is the center of our life. We've been off horizon and it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in us. Father, that requires a daily surrender. It requires a submission. It requires to do things a little bit like Paul did. Being a servant. Being the middle person. Being willing, Father, to lay ourselves down and to pick up a cross and to follow. I pray that you would use our church Use real life in a powerful way in this region and in such a way that people look and do not see us. They see Jesus. And for that to happen, we must be off-horizon people so that Jesus is the center. We love you. 
We praise you. It's in his name. All God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. If you're interested in talking about baptism, I'll be in the cry room over here. So thanks. Thanks for being here.